Welcome to another episode of Ran Out of Talent. I'm your host, Joe Zare Jr. With me is my co-host, Ryan Greening. And tonight, we have a special guest, Zach Donathan from Donathan RC Products. How's it going tonight? It's going well. Um, just uh, hanging out with you guys. How about yourself? Ah. Uh, not not terribly great, but not terrible. <laughs> How about you, Ryan? That made almost no sense, Joe. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> well, let's work. Uh, start out Friday. I get this weird spot on my arm. And it ends up being cellulitis, and I have to be on antibiotics for a bit. Oh. Is that from... Uh... Is that from uh, MMA stuff? Yeah, jiu-jitsu and kickboxing and all that. Zach does that, but I don't know. If, Zach, have you got a Matt Funk yet? No. Um, when, well, when I was really young, I used to wrestle, and I got ringworm once. Oh, I've got um, I've gotten ringworm a bunch. I don't know why I'm so susceptible to it. I get home, I get in the shower immediately, and it just sometimes doesn't matter. Hmm. I mean, uh, dude, Jim cleans the mats regularly, yeah? Uh, now with COVID after every single class. <laughs> yeah, that's what my uh, my uh, gym does. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm just, I guess I'm just more open to getting it, or I don't know. But then last night, the wife and I decided to go grocery shopping after a rougher day at thunder road but a fun day and i put a bad tank of gas in my car and my check engine lights blinking i'm getting a misfire on cylinder two and as immediate it was immediately after i got gas so i bad tank of gas hopefully so where'd you get it from i got it from some dirt gas station that's by the grocery store because i didn't feel like going out of my way like a dummy i got water in there i'm guessing i'm guessing so ryan did you do any racing this weekend i did i did i didn't get beat my by my dad though uh we'll talk about that in a bit but okay yeah (laughs) so what how was thunder road challenging how was the track the track's wonderful. Facility's yeah. wonderful. Jeremy Knutson did a fantastic job running the program, as always. Uh, brought Joe through there for the first time. He did great racing. He um, had a blast on the rock crawler course. He marshaled for the slot car track, all that stuff. He just had a great time. Cool. Yeah, and so I decided, you know, I've been running mod buggy lately, so it's like, let's do mod on carpet. And it was so much fun, but I'm so bad at it. You know, I'm I'm kind of efficient at everything I do. I'm not the best, but I'm not the worst. Guys, I was the worst. <laughs> but it was so fun. I'm going to do it again. There's no point of me ever putting a stock motor in my carpet vehicle now because it was that much more fun. And I was getting better throughout the day. Except for to come race at Dollar Hobbies. Yeah, that I guess, but man, that's a tough one. Cause 
I have a different transmission for my carpet car now because I need a slipper for modified. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So what I did was I took the slipper out of my carpet car when it was a stock car. I put it in Joe. I did, I did musical chairs with transmissions. That's why I love about having the same vehicle. It's just a couple screws. This goes here, that goes there, and I'm good. So, so that, there's a different transmission between using a, a slipper eliminator and using a spur? Because I don't feel like taking apart. It's quicker to change the transmission than it is to take apart the transmission halves and put a different top shaft that takes a slipper. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. So, okay. That piece is different. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. It, it's faster. I did the poor man's version and I just cranked her down. I've done that with the truck and it's close, but it's not the same. Sure. I was going to say it's not uh, not exactly the same. Yep. But it is close. So it can make your car handle unpredictably, though. That's what it did with the truck. So then, uh, yeah. So I sucked, but finished in, um, in mod buggy, and then truck. I wrenched on it all day, Ryan. It was such a waste of a day because I'm just wrenching on that thing the whole time. Yeah, I see you didn't even make two minutes. What happened there? I touched uh, the inside board on the sweeper. I bounced out and hit the outside wall because it just, you know, you touch it, it goes uncontrollable and goes boom, gone. Okay. And um, just the little servo arm that goes from the servo horn to the steering rack popped off. Didn't break, oh, okay. break, but I'm like, yeah, uh, it uh, it is what it is. Do but you have the aluminum pieces there? Yeah. The aluminum I, steering rack? I have the aluminum steering horn and the plastic steering rack to give it some kind of give and, you know, one last defense so the servo doesn't pop. Sure. So, yeah. Uh, so, let's see. Zach, did you race this weekend? No. Um, I've been happy if I can race about once, um, once a month. I did go testing last weekend. Are you still with um, the Gizmo Touring Car? Yeah. Um, it uh, it was pretty fruitful. I ended up uh, actually testing out a new ASC, and uh, I gained some time. Uh, but I want to um, to uh, test it on a on a larger track to verify it's not a fluke. Oh um, yeah. Because, uh, so the track I test on, um, I tested at was my, my old home track, which is a 36 by 60, um, black carpet track. So it's, it's not pretty small. Huge. Yeah. It's not huge. Yeah. So sometimes things tested there don't, um, work well on a big track and vice versa. So sometimes you gotta do some weird stuff there to go fast versus it won't work on a, like a regular size track. Sure. Yeah. There's a couple things there. Um, Blinky isn't the same when you go from ESC to ESC. I've been finding that out. I have all my vehicles have a different ESC in them right now, and they are all different. But also over time, you build up internal resistance into your ESCs, and you really should replace them every two years. It's strange. Yeah, um, I haven't done the testing on it, but I mean, it makes sense because you do the same with uh, with your wires and connectors and all that stuff. Sure, sure. 
So Ryan, did you race it dollar this week or what did you yeah. do? Yeah, I was planning on racing clay and then uh, kind of last minute my buddy got a hold of me that I've just been working on getting him into the sport. He wanted to go race dollar, so we did that. It uh, it was a light day, kind of like everywhere else. Every, yeah. Everybody's numbers were pretty well down. Dollar was substantially down, so... At the end of the day, we ended up just having a five-person, 17.5, two-wheel drive buggy, main. Oh, okay. I finished uh, second to Joey Carlson, and, um, oh, no, I'm having a brain fart right now. Oh, nice guy, owns his own business, has blue cars. Oh, crap. Shit, I should have those up right now. He does on-road, too. Jeff Will. Jeff Will, yeah. yes. Yes. Oh, I would have nice, felt dude. terrible if I didn't. If it didn't come to me. Um, so, yeah, it would, there wasn't a lot of people, but had a lot of fun. Um, me and my buddy broke some more parts because we're, we're a little wild for the whole carpet thing. Well, it's a small track, too. It really tests your throttle control. Yeah, yeah, and, there, and there's a big double right on the wall now. So oh. if you get that wrong at all, your car is into the wall midair. One day I do want to do the layout for him. Yeah? Maybe next time I get cellulitis and I'm out of the gym for a little bit. Okay. <laughs> I I would gladly go do it for him because they, you know, they have wonderful jumps and whatnot. It's just. I think it, you're going to have to fight Dave LaRue for it because he's drawing. He's That's literally. He's doing that all the time, drawing little racetracks okay. on his notepad. Well, if Dave wants to do it, I mean, Dave should do it. Yeah, if you if you have ideas oh, that you I, want to share with I him. I always have ideas, but Dave's are better than mine usually. <laughs> Is this a carpet track? Yeah, it's Dollar Hobbies um, in Woodbury. They run, they split time on the track between on and off road. Mm-hmm. It's it's smaller. Wouldn't you say? I think they said it's 73 feet to the deepest point, but you don't use the deepest point. It's kind yep. of one but of those deals. For whatever reason, they're still able to get decent lap times out of it. So Oh, because you make I'm, it tight. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with racetracks, carpet racetracks that are, you know, over 11 seconds. Yeah. And they're they're able to accomplish that every time, so I'm happy with that. Because sometimes at MMR they they used to be you know 10 second tracks. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, at Thunder Road, the top modified guys I think got down to 14.4. Yeah, the, it must be a pretty quick layout comparatively right now. It is. It's a very fast layout, and everybody's got so many hours of practice because there's that huge J Concepts racer. Right. And I had no, like, well, it's like, oh, my, I could tell I had no practice. I should have been running Slash. <laughs> uh, your, your dad got a win. Yeah. On the 17.5 two-wheel drive intermediate buggy, amen. Well, he's been finding time to go to Thunder Road every Thursday night. Oh, wow. And he's been practicing every Thursday. That's a lot of practice for it a is? guy that's been doing rc for a really long time that's cool good for him well he goes and he runs packs and it's only 45 minutes from us so it's fairly close right so um 
real quick before we get into a couple things, um, I just want to announce next week at the 510 there's going to be a trophy race for clay racing. Um, that'll be a good time. Yeah, you going to hit that one up, Joe? Oh, of course. What about you? Cool. Uh, nope. I got a friend coming into town from California, and uh, since I don't work for Fox anymore and I don't travel out that way, I don't get to see him anymore, so I usually kind of drop everything when he comes into town. Sure, sure. couple more notes. Oh, you know what we forgot to just do? I got mm. a beginner segment for this week. All right. All right. So, guys, tire prep. Because beginner segment of the week, we're going to talk about tire prep. Because eventually you're going to get away from the pre-mounts. You're going to want to do different things to the foam, especially on clay. Um, or on carpet, there's little things you can do. But the first thing you want to do is get yourself a leather punch from Menards, $5.99. You can get them from AKA for double that if you want an AKA sticker on it, but it's the same thing. Um, put a couple of holes in the back side of the sidewall. Clean the bead really well. First, I like to double it up. I like to do a round of simple green. And then I like to do a round of motor cleaner to get all of that mold release off. It's super important to get all the mold release off. Then, let's say this is 10 scale. Let's say you don't have a tire jig. You want to get yourself some rubber bands. And you want to get yourself some good glue. Like, don't go to Joanne Fabrics and get whatever generic super glue they have. Chances are they have something that works, but finding the right stuff off that big needle in the haystack, man, that's tough. Loctite makes some good stuff, but I like to stick with the old AKA. That really hasn't failed me. So, you you know, just walk a bead around. You And when the bead stops walking around, you put another bead on, you walk it around. And then when your tire's fully the bead is fully saturated with glue and the bead seated just put a rubber band around the outside edge of the tire the edge of the tire you're gluing up let it sit for 10 minutes and then that bead will be good to go it's nice and simple so do you guys have anything to add to that zach do you have anything on the on-road side because you do a lot of touring car but everything comes pre-mounted these days doesn't it yeah, so actually, I um, I forgot to check out the episode um, where I asked the question about um, doing like a pre-mount versus mounting your own stuff. Um, did you guys discuss that on that episode? I completely spaced it. Yes, I think we did. Do you remember, Ryan? I don't. I'd, so, so I'm going to be pulling this out of nowhere. Um I I'm into it for carpet and not into it for off-road and Correct. I have absolutely no basis for that. So for clay, you can't. Because you have you don't have to prep the foam, but most of us do because it just makes life so much easier for breaking in the foams. Most of us don't do all the stupid things that Joe does, <laughs> but we do do some of the stupid things that Joe does. Exactly. So let's let's so 
<clears throat> my uh, my question um, was something to the effect of why doesn't off-road go to a spec tire? Um, I'm sure if you've been in any off-road pit uh, or dirt or clay, um, then you'll notice that there's a pile of tires that oh, yeah. everyone's got. Oh, yeah. I got um, a 40-gallon tote myself. Yeah, and how many thousands of dollars do you have in that tote? I don't like to think about it. <laughs> okay, and then how many times can you run those tires? Uh, with mod, one race day with stock about three. Okay, so, I mean, three's not terrible, but one one race day is that's yeah. a little expensive. It's not as bad as uh, some of the other uh, guys have been you can excuse get, me, hearing about. Yes, you can get to the point of ridiculousness. Like, um, there's going to be a J-Con race coming somewhere close in february i'm not gonna make the announcement for the guys but it's pretty well known um i'm gonna be one running tires there yeah so my all right so my um hey hit the pause button real quick okay hold on one second i'm gonna hit the pause button all right we're on paused (laughs) so uh the question was um why don't um, off-road cars have a, a pre-mounted tire like on-road does. So if you race on-road, um, you're required to buy a set of tires at the race, and generally it's limited numbers, like two or three sets sure. um, of either one or two or maybe a third brand of tire, but yep. they're always the same three brands throughout yep. the whole country. Right, right, right. Um, so, I mean, there are three like major brands of, of off-road tires. Um, and so you could, I mean, you could do something like that. And then what if the, uh, so the manufacturer like kind of preps the tires like the racers want. Um, so, uh, you could do, I mean, you could do the sidewall holes yourself. Yep. Um, that's not really while they're mounted. It's, it's a little more complicated. You, you can still do it. Yeah. Senior's got a really nice punch himself though. You could put a hole anywhere on the tire you want. Yeah. Um, but then you could also um, mess with the foams, have the manufacturer mess with the foams, and say maybe they're, I don't know, what's a set of, of off-road tires cost you now? A uh, set of rears, it's 22 it's bucks. It's about 60 mounted for yeah. a two-wheel drive buggy, all four corners. All four corners, yeah. So it's almost as yeah, much so, as an A-scale buggy. So say, I mean, what? why not do something like that and then offer it and then say you put it on a, a little harder compound? Mm, so okay. it lasts a little longer um and then you get like if you're going to a, a big national race or a rural or a, not a regional race rather sure then you get so many sets of tires maybe like four or five i don't know how many sets i don't race dirt anymore but uh you know why why is that so um um unreasonable for guys Okay, Ryan, should I give mine and then you give yours? Yeah, go ahead, Joe. If the foams and the compound aren't right, the car is bad. It gets evil. That's the issue. And that's the problem with clay. It really is. It would be so cool for 8th scale, though. Oh, yeah. I like how uh, the RCGP2 division 
does that control tire. Gosh, that would be so awesome oh, for our regional series. It would be rad for A-scale, but for clay racing, the cars just get a little too evil. If, let's say you go a little too hard of compound, or let's say, I'm not going to name the company, but there's a company that does pre-mounts. They're not great, but it's some stoner hippie chick that has no RC affiliation whatsoever. She's just hired to do a job, and she doesn't do a great one. So you, so, you get that. All right, so you said that um, stock tires last you three race days and mod tires a race day. Yeah. So if you got like a three- or a four-day event, then you race three days. Why not have three sets of tires? As the limit to to kind of no, you're right. I um, I can I can the, set them up. Go ahead. No, so I was gonna say I can set them up. Let's say if I run mod, I can set them up to be really really fast on that bleeding edge for six minutes, and then after that, they're garbage. <laughs> I'd be so into it if a company like Proline, which they would never do it because now they're part of a huge conglomerate. Yeah. But if Proline pre you know punched out holes into the blue foams and we all just ran positrons and it was a control tire. We just showed up for a, a big trophy ra- or maybe not even our local trophy racing, but like that J-Con race. Yeah. You show up to that J-Con race, everybody gets their raw speed tires, whatever. That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. But especially you, if they're pre-mounted, so I'd be so into that. The J-Con, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. The J-Con race there are spec tires for certain classes. Oh yeah, for the the like, like your the stock one five buggy and stuff. I think all I don't know, but I thought all your stock classes were cool. I thought, but yeah, but I mean, you still if there is that, then you still have to buy them and do all that stuff. And then I think how many do you do you have an idea on the limit of tires? It's still you can. I want to say it's two or three set for the for the stock classes. Okay, so it's not as crazy because, like, for the worlds, they were doing, um, they set it up and you could, like, one run every time or something like that. Yep. Well, that's the thing. That is the upside of carpet off road. There's, like, no, you, you glue them up and you keep, so- once they get a little flat, you sauce them with SXT basically until they're bald. And you get several weeks out of them. That is the positive for carpet off-road. Well, especially if you um, have a track, like not, um, you said Dollar did both, right? Yeah. So they have to run um, like a, a clay-style tire or a slick. Uh, but if you run on like a, an AstroTurf or something that's strictly off-road, I think the um, those tires so, last forever. Like so... The, no dollar, and stuff. dollar you run a carpet off-road tire. What they do is they take the old gray ozite and put it over the black. Ah, okay. They do a pretty good job at building tracks. So, well, I should say they do a pretty good job at protecting their assets because they do not allow mod motors on their track, period. It's a little aggravating, but... It's their deal, and they want to protect, you know, their borders. And mm-hmm. just, carpet's expensive. Oh, it is, for sure, for sure. 
And they're one of the first people that required um, off-road vehicles to have a chassis protector, all that stuff. And what, what Senior and I do now is because chassis protectors are a little too heavy, they're 17 grams. Now, granted, it's where you want the extra weight on the very bottom of the car, but still, it's a little heavy, so we use um, packing tape. Clear, mm-hmm. pa- clear packing tape, and it works great. So it's really cheap too. Oh yeah, yeah. Chassis protector is twenty dollars. So yeah, you know, guys, I think that's about all I got. There's um, oh, also real quick, there's a winter series. It's yeah, I'm not gonna announce that. I wasn't given permission. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you know, today. The and this weekend the Alabama manufacturer shootout has been going on. Did you get a look at that track? At oh, all? it's beautiful. Oh, it's awesome. Did you I, see I it? Watched, Zach? Uh, I watched E Buggy A Main number two. Yep. And uh, yeah, it looks like a blast. Did you watch that at all, Zach? No, I've been having uh, other things going on this weekend. Sure. So Nitro Buggy, uh, Ryan Cavalieri. Took the win there over Mayfield. I can't believe it. And Jared Tebow third. Yep. Our uh, local Seth Van Dalen finished 10th in that one. Pretty good. That's an hour-long main, isn't it? What's that? Hour-long main. I think it was 45 okay. in buggy. Okay. And then it was a 30-minute truggy main. Tebow took that, followed by Tyler Jones and Spencer Rivkin. This, um, it was a stacked field down there i don't think it's always this heavy with the pros but it was super heavy well yeah because everything's getting canceled man right so this will be i would imagine this will be a top 20 or top 25 race yeah so how's the racing been in your area zach um it's down uh, I would say it's like seventy five percent of what it was. Are you able to? COVID. Are you able to though? Yeah, okay. uh, we don't have any uh, restrictions at the moment. Um, in Indiana, in Kentucky, I don't know that there's a lot of tracks. Um, so the tracks I race at are in, are in Indiana and and Tennessee primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, in Tennessee, the track's still up and running. That's the one I'm gonna go run uh, later this month. Um, at their turkey shootout, uh, the race I was going to go to was the indoor champs, Aww. um, but that got canceled. Yep. Yeah. And you know, for the winter time, places are going to be going back on, on the lockdown. My kids are getting pulled completely out of school November 16th for, I, I think, so my son was going to go, Jackie was going to go to full distance learning and my son, Joey was going to go hybrid halftime in school and halftime on the computer, but they just decided to pull them both. And yeah, it's, um, our numbers in Minnesota are way, way high, but I'll, I'll tell you what, my main grappling partner has COVID um, and he was kind of a conspiracy theorist about it. Like, yeah, it's, there's something behind it. And 
he's suffered so little effects that he's doubling down on that theory. Well, so um, it really seems to depend, uh, like, your pre-existing conditions and your, like, so what that would entail is, like, how fit you are or how healthy you are. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Which goes into, like, physical fitness, like your viral load, um, antibiotics, or not antibiotics, vitamins or minerals you have. Yeah. Um, your stress and stuff like that. Yeah. How often it's... Um, you know, you're exposed to all this stuff. And I mean, there's a whole bunch that goes into it. Um, and some people have it and are, um, they actually have a lot of issues with it. Yep. And some people just shake it off. Yeah. I don't know. The rumor is Minnesota might be headed for another lockdown, but I don't know how many people are actually going to follow it this time around. Uh, well, it, that's a, it's a tough one. Cause I mean, yeah. I'm not gonna comment on it. It's, I know it's your show. No, no, uh, no. I don't. I don't disagree. But I, I mean, you're you're a business owner, but you do your work from home. You know, it does not affect me. No, um, unless they shut down the post office, and in which case it affects the customers and still not us. Right. Because I can still make the product, um, unless I run out of like wire connectors or some portion of the the charging product itself. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, it hasn't affected my work at all. How about you, Ryan? You, are you able to oil the crane and all that stuff? <laughs> yeah, physically, yeah, all aspects of the job are fairly easy. Uh, it's a little annoying when we go to places and along with all the rest of the PPE that I'm already wearing, I have to try to wear masks and a sometimes masks along with face shields along with my glasses along with you know my helmet and all that stuff it's it's a huge pain in the ass the biggest thing i think is um the the hit to the economy is going to finally start showing up here and is showing up and we're running out of uh construction infrastructure wise the money that everybody spent before covid so all the projects that got green lit, everything there. Um, so now we're coming to a point where there's works slowing down quite a bit. And it's already, you know, this is the slow time of year for construction, but it's um, it's not looking good. No. So, yeah. On a lighter note, so I've been on the carnivore diet since the Monday after the Motodome race. What does that mean? Is that like a derivative of Atkins or kind of? Um, it means he only eats meat. Yeah, Oofta. What the fuck are eggs. you doing that for? Because I have a sugar problem. And I'm just doing it as a reset. That can't be good for your heart. Oh, it's wonderful. I I've had, heard good things about it. I had my blood pressure taken on Friday, Ryan. My resting heart rate is at fifty-five. My blood pressure is 101 over 70. Well, that's not a cumulative, you know, look into your heart health. I know, but it's not forever either. All right. It's just until November 19th. I'm doing it for for a month. Well, I mean, I I was, so I, I was, I was overweight and I worked so hard not to be overweight. And then during the last quarantine, I gained enough weight to where I had a gut ledge again. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. 
So I'm doing so this. So you as, went to a crash diet. I went to a crash diet. Then I'm going to go back on the diet I had on my last fight camp. Good for you. Well, it's it's good that it didn't take like, you know, a massive gain. No, it to, was to kick you in the butt. It was 15 pounds. Sure. So, but anyway, wearing the mask, dude, my breath smells like um, rancid. Beef broth 100% of the time. That's the only thing I can't stand about it. I would never, you know, I'm a huge proponent of, of eating meat. I would never be able to eat nothing but meat. Guys? I'd be so over it. I'm sick of steak. <laughs> I never thought I'd say that. I'm sick of it. Yeah, I don't know how you wouldn't be. Because, well, I mean, it's... You know, for for lunch, it's like I have um, a chopped up ham steak, and I have eggs. For breakfast, I have bacon and eggs. For dinner, oh, you get to have eggs. Yes, okay. if it comes from an animal. Oh, all right. I can have hard cheeses if they're not overly processed garbage. So there are a couple of little things, but but you know, so at, at night, string cheeses out. Yeah, that's out. That's bullshit. It is. <laughs> so anyways, so off of this topic, so Zach, you have, since the last time you are on the show, you are on uh, like episode 37. And if you guys want to hear Zach's history, we're not going to go listen to episode 14 because that was the first time Zach was on and, you know, we got talking and it's been, I listened to those episodes and it's interesting to see how your company has moved along, you know what I mean? So you came out with the new heated lipo safe that I am going to order myself pretty quick, but why don't you let everybody know what the deal with that thing is? Yeah, sure. So um, I want to start out and say, um, just like the last time we were on, we're offering a coupon code uh, for the listeners of the podcast. Um, it's good for the next month. So until, um, December 8th, um, you're able to save $10 on a purchase of $25 or more with the coupon code talent, all one word, lowercase letters. Um, so it's T A L E N T. Well, that, that is awesome right there. We appreciate it. So we do that, um, to try and help you guys out. And, you know, we really appreciate uh, your listeners and they, um, you know, when they, they frequent our store, we, we try to, um, you know, it's really about the customers at the end of the day. Um, so I think that's kind of what made, uh, is making DRC successful because it's, it's not about the business. It's about making friends. Um, and if as a consequence of that, we are able to, um, run a business well, then that is, um, awesome. Yeah. So, uh, about the the heated lipo sleeve, um, yeah. So it's sorry. it's not a it's not a lipo safe. I, I um, forgot about I wanna, that part. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said I forgot about that part. It's a sleeve now and not a safe. Yeah. So um, the reason we went with a sleeve versus a safe is because you get a lot. Uh, there's so many different sizes, batteries, and uh, multiple batteries, and this and that, and it's not. You can't heat um, the batteries super well if they're not, like, if the heating elements aren't close to the batteries. 
Uh, it takes a lot longer, and then you don't get a very good uh, heat distribution in the packs. So um, it's not as good for them. Uh, or it's, well, it's not bad for them. It's just not as good as it could be uh, performance-wise. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so that thing, your new heating sleeve has three temperature settings, which I found very interesting. Uh, what were those again? I it's i'm spacing on it that's okay so there's a low medium and high yep. um which is 100 110 and 120 um the and the reason 120 is a little bit over um the ideal temperature for lipos but if you have three 1s packs in there or two 2s packs um then you want the the higher setting because you have a lot more material to warm up um and you know, 120 is not going to hurt the batteries. If you get uh, well above 140, then there's going to become an issue um, with harming the batteries. But most most guys stay well. I mean, well under that. So it's um, the optimal temperature for the batteries is about 110 cool. while you're charging. Yep. Um, and that's uh, that's with the proven from the data, not from just me making up this number. Um, so about 110 is, is the best temperature. And so what, uh, let's back up a little bit and kind of explain why a heating, a heated lipo sleeve might be wanted. So, uh, we brought out the, the heated lipo safe as an alternative to high amp discharging. And our heated lipo sleeve is a, um, is the version two of this product. So we took the feedback we got and some feedback that we thought and made, made this product. Um, so guys are discharging at high amps to build heat into the batteries. Um, and it's not exactly a safe way to do it. When you put these batteries under the high stress like that, um, they tend to, um, significantly shorten the lifespan of them, not only because you're, um, cycling them. So you're using a part of their life cycle on the charger, but also because you're like, um, misusing these batteries. So, um, so you're, you're significantly shortening, shortening like the really usable part of the life of the battery. And when I say that, I mean like the part that you want to race with when they become practice packs, it doesn't really matter. But if you're trying to go for a race pack, like for me, I buy race packs once a year. Right. Um, I don't, I just don't. And I buy, uh, two of them at a time. So I'll have two batteries that I use for race packs and I'll have two batteries I use for practice packs. Um, and my practice packs are last year's race packs. Um, and it really, it works for me. I don't race as often as I did when I, I was using three batteries for a season because I race more and now I don't race very much. Um, unfortunately, so it's kind of two, but two last me the whole season. Um, so guys that are buying one a month or something or more than that is kind of, um, insane to me, especially considering that my, uh, like my practice packs, when they become practice packs, the IR is um, generally like 1.8 or so, which is still decent, but not as good as like when I get them when they're like 1. Um, and then you also look at the discharge curve, which is another very important part that a lot of people don't talk about. They only look at the IR. Um, so the so the heated lipo sleeve is brought, um, brought in to um, help decrease internal resistance, which increases the punch on the track. And also to decrease fade um, or the 
uh, level out your discharge curve. Okay. So, yeah, that's what I... Tracks have been... More and more have been allowing heated sleeves and safes too, which I kind of... You know, I personally appreciate because I use them myself. Um, Ryan, how often do you buy packs? Maybe once every three, four years? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I've never really been too concerned uh, with electronic performance. I Some of my ESCs are three, four years old, and some of my batteries are two, three years old, and that is to my detriment, but... Um, my, my carpet buggy is, is all brand new from top to bottom, except for the pack. So I, I think I'm going to treat myself to a new shorty here sometime in the near future. And that'll be, that'll run both, uh, carpet and clay two wheel drive buggies. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, so also since the last time you've been on, You've got a new version of the tungsten screws in. You have full screw kits. You've got you got a bunch of new hardware. Um, why don't you tell us about the new tungsten screws? Because that's more for um, 12 scale and sedan guys, correct? I, I disagree. Um, but oh. the problem with the uh, why guys don't use them in off-road is because the cars are built so um, clumsily, yep. if I can say it like that. Sure. Um, they're made to be very robust um, yes. for like all the racers. And um, whether it's not cost-effective or the companies don't view it as such, or, or however the reason is, um, on-road cars are designed a lot um, more efficiently for center of gravity. Um and so, uh, the, just everything weighs less, you know, we're always working towards getting the center of gravity lower or the parts in the car towards the center, um, left to right and front to back, um, to reduce the, um, the amount of weight that gets transferred. Um, and to really what, so what that does is it increases corner speed. Okay. So similar to that. Um, so if off-road cars, if for some reason you're able to get the car below, um, whatever your minimum weight is, then these cars do, or these, these screws do um, essentially increase your corner speed. Um, now, in off-road, uh, we don't have uh, a lot of drivers testing them in off-road yet. We will have um, quite a few once the, uh, the new batch of tungsten screws arrives. Okay. But in on-road, so essentially the easiest way to increase your corner speed and to go faster around the track it's to lower your center of gravity, okay, yeah. um, which is backed up by the, the math again. I'm not just talking because I like to talk. Um, so that's like that's one of the easiest ways to to go faster. It's just to make sure everything's flat on the car and as low as possible. Um, so the tungsten screws put the the weight where you want them, which is in the lowest part of the chassis. Now the cool thing about the tungsten screws is you can use them for a long time especially if you have a quality two mil hex driver. Um, so I have some of the original tungsten screws in my car, which have been in there. These are like the prototypes right. of them. So I've had them for about two years now. Um, and I did break one 
but I did take the whole side of the car off. So oh, <laughs> you you kind of deserved mean, it. <laughs> there was no there was no left front. There was no right or uh, there was no left rear. Um, <laughs> so you know a lot of stuff got broke. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so I did I did break one there, but uh, to my knowledge, that's the only one that's been broken. Um, nobody's has has brought any more um, to my attention. And these new screws are actually a little bit more durable because of the design. Yep. Um, and we updated the the tungsten alloy uh, to make them a little bit heavier and okay. yet a little bit more durable at the same time. Nice. So, who are you liking for uh, a two like a uh, Allen wrench producer? Because Man, I hate to say this, but MIP, in my personal opinion, has gotten a little soft. I was always on MIP. Like, I love their stuff. I had one 2mm for like 12, 13 years, and then I've been replacing a 2mm every 10 months or so since I've gotten the newest batch. Oh, wow. That's interesting to know. So I have an old MIP like you. Yeah. That's... I don't, I don't know how old that is, but it's not new by any means. No. Um, and uh, I actually, I had my, uh, I had my dad resurface it um, to get to um, a two mil because, well, this was five or six years ago now, um, because we used them for off road, and then we started doing on road stuff, and I, you know, he's uh, so he's able to do this. Um, pretty easily and then you know, i don't have to buy a new driver and i haven't had it done since uh but it's still the same sizes as uh, the regular mip driver um that i use but there's uh two other good brands out there for drivers besides mip if you're finding issues with for them yeah um one is aeromax and the other is hootie okay um, both of those make really good drivers now i haven't used protec or one of the other million RC brand uh, tool makers. Yep. Uh, but the thing you want to look for in a good two mil is how um, how big the two mil is. So it should be at least a one nine one point nine seven um, millimeters. If one nine six is okay, but anything less than that, then you're gonna have an issue because most of your screws are actually close to two point uh, one, two point, even some 2.2 millimeters in, in the hex diameter. It almost sounds better. Like you, you'd rather have like a five sixty force. Actually, that's the opposite way. I oh, think the five sixty force is smaller. Okay. Okay. I thought it was bigger. Um, yeah, my two millimeters, uh, my best two millimeter right now is at a 1.89 that's really small yeah that's my best um that's my newest one so you know also it's fun i i have mostly mip wrenches but every now and again i'll I'll keep old wrenches i have this super super old dynamite wrench worst handle worst feeling handle known to man it's a 1.5 millimeter that's my go-to 1.5 millimeter though i've had it for years and it works great so. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I know I measured mine and it's uh, it's down to one nine seven. Um, and I measured <laughs> it a few years ago when it was a one nine eight. So. Um, yeah, like my MIP, uh, my MIP one five is one three five. 
See, that's not that's an issue. And a lot of guys, so that's the issue when a lot of off-road guys use um, aluminum screws. One of the issues is that their driver's not a 2 mil or a 1.5 or whatever it's supposed to be, and aluminum's way softer than titanium or yep. steel. Um, so, you know, that's an issue, and then most of the off-road guys like to really crank on stuff, um, which is more surely unnecessary um, for what you're trying to put aluminum in sure. for. Sure, sure. Um, uh, real so quick. So luckily with our... Sorry, I was going to say my Dynamite 1.5 is 1.5 on the dot. Yeah, I mean, that's a good that's a good driver. Um, so what the second part to making a good driver is how long it stays at whatever measurement it's supposed to be. Yes. Um, so, I mean, those are two things. And then, you know, a cost is always a thing. But if... Like in the past, you could buy a set of MIP drivers and they would last you. I don't know. I like I said, I don't know when I bought those, but they're they've got to be ten years old. Yeah, mine doesn't have the new wrap on it. It has the two lines in it for two millimeters. My old one. Yeah. So I mean, mine are. I bought the the wraps for them when they came out. Sure. And, um, and real, then subsequently replaced them with, with our tool labels. I was going to say, that's another new thing you've made is your uh, tool labels that are mm-hmm. nice and custom. Yeah, so uh, real quick to finish up on the, yeah. the tungsten screws. So um, this is the version 2, so it's got a 2 mil hex in it, or a 1 16th uh, if you're ordering the standard SAE uh, 440 size. So it's either M3 six mil or eight mil or the uh four forty and quarter inch and three eighths. Okay. And you're able to to really um I wouldn't say like crank on them, but I tighten them as much as I do my steel screws and I haven't had an issue. Sure. Um sure. and so tungsten is actually about three times heavier than steel. So if a steel screw weighs one gram, a tungsten screw weighs three grams. Okay. Obviously they don't weigh that much. Um each but you know our website breaks it down and we have a nice a couple nice posts online about it um if you wanted to to check out more information on it sure sure um do you guys in the on-road world yet use um the hitachi driver is that the um the green handled one It has a really. I guess I don't know what that is. It has a really nice clutch on it, and you use like um, MIP. Well, everybody makes speed Allen's. Oh, for it. oh, yeah. Uh, not really. Okay. Because our screws, our longer screws, might be like twelve millimeters long. Gotcha. Yeah, it's like twelve is the average on a ten scale buggy. Uh, yeah. And it's you need it for it. I mean, you don't need it for a scale, but your wrist will thank you. Yeah. So, um, what else have you, oh, you've also put, you've come out with, um, your wrench labels. You started putting the 6S connector on your 2S leads that helps out with, um, durability and stability. Am I correct? What do you mean the 6S connector? The 6S, um, to the balance port on the, um, iCharger. Oh, 6S. Yeah. I misheard you. I'm sorry. Sorry. Um, yeah, so, uh, the tool labels, uh, we're able to do in any length that you want. 
um, and, and any of our three diameters with any of our nine colors and whatever inks you want. And then we can get like a different font uh, for you or the standard font. You give them in all the different sizes you have. Um, you, know, you can put your logo on there or a nickname or, or really anything. Okay. Um, and the, this, so the 6S 7 pin upgrade for the charge leads is to increase stability. Um, so with the, the, a lot of times it happens to us balance charge leads because there's only three pins in there and you have this small housing because most of the chargers are designed for at least a 6S lipo. Right. So they're a little, um, there's, there's extra room in there. And so it, it can come out if you're moving your battery, or battery around when you're charging it um, or if you're moving your cables around or, or whatever. And so that's definitely a, a nice feature to have. Yep. Uh, I still need to order up some cables. I've just been, uh, you know, I honestly sometimes just forget to put it in order, but I have a list I need to get from you. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, we have that um, for our charge leads. We have, so we've been rolling out updates for the 2021 charge leads okay. um, right now. And we just, so we, every time we find a way to make the charge leads better, we just incorporate it into, excuse me, into the current um, design of the charge leads. And then we do like a press release and announce the, like the official leads. So, so far we've, um, reinforce the the connection between the um, heat shrinks for our leveled up version which means it's fully sheathed there's no wires exposed okay um so we reinforced that so it's really hard to pull the, the sheathing out now um so before guys were like bending our charge leads in half Ugh. um and then the sheathing would come out of them after a few times because sure. it's i mean the glue it, it's glue but it's not like it's not like shoe gooed in or it's just an adhesive heat shrink um that holds it together so um this new uh design has really um made that i won't say impossible but it's more difficult um we did that we updated to the uh the molded over ends for our bullet connectors okay so now you're less likely to pull um the wire off of your um your connector and also the sheathing so the same thing if guys were bending the the heat shrink at the connectors sometimes the sheathing would come out of them okay and then the it would get loose and then the um you'd be more easy easily able to pull off the balance wire which is a lot of times what happens with the failures um for um a balance lead okay so those are uh, a couple of the major things that we've done recently um, we have some more stuff in the works, but it's not quite ready yet. So we're, uh, we're still working on how to do a, a few things. Sure. Sure. Uh, there's a couple new products since the last time you've been on and then we'll get to questions. There's the magnetic upgraded fast charger for your phones. Yeah. So, um, one of our best selling products, um, is our, our phone charge leads. So the phone charge leads, uh, we call them phone charge leads because that's originally what it's for, but they can be used for a ton of different things. Yeah. So like if you've got a laptop that takes a Type-C connector or a tablet, um, 
earphones, headphones, your PS4, Xbox controller. Um, you know, Sanwa M17. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's a ton of applications for these, and guys love them because they can get them in three, six, and ten foot lengths in any of our 20 sheathing colors. They can get their name on the heat shrink, and uh, so we do all that stuff. And so we have those in the regular, and now in the magnetic, we have those in three and six foot to start out with. Okay. Um, and if that does well, then we'll get some 10 foot ones. Okay. Uh, also, I got to get magnetic ones for around the house because. Remember that nice one I ordered Jackie for last Christmas, that nice purple one, all that crap? Well, she mm-hmm. she plays with her tablet while it's charging, and you sit and you bend the living crap out of it. Oh, yeah. And with the magnetic one, you totally lose that. Uh, it'll just disconnect. Yeah, so the um, the cool thing about the magnetic charge leads is actually, um, so, well, actually, there's a couple really cool things about them. The... Um, ours specifically are data capable and most of the magnetic ones on the market are not i i actually haven't found one that is data capable okay um and then the, most of them are like slower charging they say fast charging but the requirements for fast charging are, are, are bare minimum right um fast charging is a it's just a label that people use but ours are really three amp capable which is what you're looking for so you're looking right. at that when you buy a phone charger, you want to look at the amperage it's capable of producing or um, transporting rather. Um, and so that's a cool feature. And also a cool feature of ours is, is their the ends that plug into your phone is what's called a, a 540. So it means it can rotate 540 degrees. So yes. it can bend back and forth and do a 360 at the same time. And, you know, my kids are hard on stuff, so that would be awesome yeah and uh so we also sell just the regular end so if you have like 12 iphones or or an iphone and a um and sandwell radio and then you've got a galaxy samsung tablet for whatever reason you can buy all three ends with the phone or you can get extra ends as well and just leave them plugged into whatever device you're using and use the same cable to charge all those different products Sure, sure. Um, let's see. I think I don't know if that's it for new. Um, oh, you know, last time you're on, I don't think you had fully released the sensor wires, or you were just rolling out with them. And I'll tell you what, I buy a bunch of them because I hand I give them to people and be like, hey, this is where I got this from. Because you know, every week at the track, someone someone's gonna lose a sensor wire. And I'm like, here, check this out, and this is where you get them. I, I like them so much because they're so durable. I, I even get the standard bare ones, and they're nice and durable. Hey, Joe, can you pause it? Yep, I will pause it. All right, we're back from that little break. Um, so, yeah, what I was saying about the sensor wires and what Ryan was saying on that little break is – how you grab the sensor wires, even on the plain flat ones, it's so much nicer because most of them you have to like tug on the wires to unplug them. But there's a place to grab the flat ones, so you're not. Yep. So on on Zach's website, it'd be the extremely durable flat style sensor wires is what we're talking about. Yeah. So we um. So 
um, the so there's three styles. So um, and then each could be a tube or a flat style. Um, and so we have like the regular ones that you could buy everywhere. Um, and some guys really like those. Uh, they're really cost effective and they're they're really a very good product. Um, and then we have another one that's uh, extremely durable style, which is kind of our, our very, we call things that are extremely durable, the wolf style. Um, and, uh, so they could be, um, any of the wolf styles, you can get your choice of like six heat shrink colors, um, with the black sensor wire. So you can get like red, yellow, blue, green, uh, black and white. And, uh, um, we can do angled or straight on those as well. So you can get either either side angled, um, one side angled, or neither side. You can just get them both straight. Um, and then the um, we have our sensor wires available from 50 millimeters to 275 millimeters. And then for the the wolf style, uh, the extremely durable style, we have them in a regular and a slim style. So some guys like the um, and the slim style is, is 50% less than the regular style. Um, so if you're trying to fit something more durable into a smaller space, it's definitely um, the way to go. Right. And your sensor wires go from $4 to $9 for the extremely durable and sheathed, which is great pricing there. Yeah. So, um, so the sheathed ones means they um, – so you get your choice of heat shrink again. And then you also get your choice of sheathing color. Um, and those are actually the most durable of our sensor wires because of how they're made. Um, and so the, the sensor wire itself has an extra protection. So a lot of times in off-road um, and even in on-road, you get the, um, the sensor wire itself, not the, connect, uh, the connectors, but the sensor wire itself gets like a little scrape in it or something and the wire gets exposed. Oh, yeah. And so this offers an extra layer of protection. Um, the downside to that is the, the fully sheathed ones aren't as um, flexible as the other styles. Um, they're still very flexible, but like not flexible enough to be used in a 12 scale. Okay, okay. And unfortunately, because they are sheathed, they, uh, the thickness about doubles on them. So sure. like if you want to run them under your battery, then your battery gets moved up a little bit more. Right, right. So, yeah, I was going to say about 12 scale. I don't know, man. I would just make custom sensor wires for the Osmatic because I've heard that is going to take over the 12 scale world. Uh, well, we actually have quite a few drivers that run um, for us that have the, the A12, the Osmatic 12 scale. Um, and they, they are using um, our products on it and they, they're loving it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I was talking to Kevin about his, he, he had a tough decision to make and he switched to the Osmatics this year and he said it's way more durable than you'd ever think. So at Genesis, he took a header into the wall and the thing was still in perfect tweak. Everything was still perfectly flat, all that other stuff. So it is very strong it's a very fast car it's it's going to be the one to beat for a while i think it looks like x-ray saw them coming and 
and their car, the 21 that they're about to release, looks like a really beautiful little piece of machinery as well. Sure, sure. You got You got to check it out. It's no, it, for, I I did for, check as simple it out. as 12th scales are. They between the automatics and the new X-ray, they are sexy little machines. I think they're done being simple. Well, it's only been the same design for 20 years. What, 20 <laughs> right. years? Try, oh, I want to say the original Associated that came out in the mid-70s is a crude design of the newest CRC. Well, I what I mean is like <laughs> when they switch from the, the T-plate to oh, the yeah, yeah. pivot. Yeah, the T-plate to the pivot, yeah. No, I got you there. Yeah, that was because they were forced to because making a proper saddle pack, one company did it, and it was a piece of junk battery pack to make a 1S saddle pack because um, in at the end of the NIM days, Yari Tesquila made the perfect 12 scale for the round cells. The Flexi Flyer 007. That was the best 12 scale to have with round cells. And then all of a sudden lipos came about and you couldn't run it. Because, like I said, there was one company that made a saddle pack and it was just junk. So, yeah, they had to adapt. Well, I'm kind of glad they did because I think that it's... I mean, everything adapts over time, but um, going to the lipo technology, there's certainly less oh, yeah. cost involved. Um, it's still like more cost than a two-cell. Um, One-cells cell, one cost the same as two-cells now, Zach. It's crazy. Well, I'm, <clears throat> what I mean is that um, the 12-scale, uh, uh, the motor and battery and everything is really amplified because you oh, need yeah. to get every little bit out so like if i ran 12 scales i would probably buy a new battery every time i went to a race yep versus um turning car because the batteries just i mean they mean so much they do those little cars they do and and that's the game of it but anyway um so how about we get into some questions here uh, actually, I have um, a couple, uh, well, at least one other product oh, right. that uh, we didn't talk about. So okay. we recently launched our um, our power supply cables, which then made us relabel our previous power supply cables. So the power supply cable that we recently launched, well, that didn't, didn't make any sense. But uh, anyway, so our power supply cables that we recently launched yes. go from the outlet to the power supply. Yep. And so we, you can get those in any length that you'd like okay. and any of the sheathing colors you can like uh, with heat shrink if you would uh, prefer. And, you, of course, you can do custom heat shrink with your name or logo on them. And what I really like about them is they're super flexible. Yep. So um, I have a 12-inch one that will bend at 90 degrees on both sides, on both plugs, and plug right into the outlet, no problem. Yep. And so it's very nice. I need to order one. I forgot. I fried. Have you ever fried a power supply cable? Because I just did a couple weeks ago. What? How'd you do that? Being a dummy. Um, I have a 75 amp power supply. And I was charging off both 
sides at 40 amps, just not even paying attention. I normally don't, but I was getting my stuff going and Joey's stuff going, and I wasn't paying attention. And then all of a sudden, my charger shut off, and there was a horrible smell, and the cable had fried. So I plugged in a different cable, and it worked just fine. But the cable took the brunt of that and totally melted down. Hmm. It was well, interesting. Uh, <laughs> well, the good news is, so we use our leveled up 12 gauge for our power supply cables. Yes. Um, which is about the industry. Uh, it's probably bigger than the industry 10 gauge. Okay. Um, like if you were to go to like Menards or Home Depot or wherever, buy some 10 gauge for your house. The uh, one strand of that is our VAR 12 gauge is bigger than their 10 gauge. Okay. So it's it's literally the biggest you can fit in these plugs. You can't you cannot put any bigger. Um, but what that means is you can really get some power out of them and not have to worry about that. Yeah. Um, so we di- we did that and then we renamed our previous power supply lead, which went from the power supply to the charger, the charger's lead. Um, so if you have like an eye charger, you need another cable that goes from the power supply to the charger. Okay. Um, and now a lot of them, you can, people make them up and all that. But of course we do. So our, our thing is we kind of do them, um, customized, uh, and durable, um, with great customer service and try to do it at affordable pricing. Oh, everything um, on your website's super affordable. I mean, people really need to go to it because, uh, you know, we're talking about these leveled up charge leads and they don't cost i think the most you can make them is like 25 dollars, unless you get into extreme lengths um actually so we um because of uh things going around in the world we we did increase our price uh so the base price for our leveled up charge leads which means that the fully sheet yep is 27 dollars, and most most of the guys get um if you get like say all the upgrades yes all the upgrades. So you get eight gauge wire, you get this uh, seven pin uh, upgrade, you make it the wolf style, which means it's extremely durable. Yep. Uh, you could custom print a heat shrink. I think they're like 35 bucks. That's dirt cheap for having something custom and that works well and all that stuff. Well, and on top of that, we have our warranty program in place. Right. Um, which can be viewed under the information tab. And so if you get the, so if you buy like a regular, charge lead so we upgraded our warranty program and it's got like phone charge leads sensor wires uh balance charge leads heated lipo sleeves um power supply cables and the charger leads all included and there's it runs into the whole thing but if you get the a regular charge lead without um the wolf style it's a 30-day guaranteed or else we'll replace it nice now if you get the wolf style it's a uh, six months um guaranteed or or replace it and then we also offer to fix all of our not all of our products most of our products can be fixed like our balance charge leads yep um for what it costs us to uh just it's pretty much the shipping if you so i mean there's a few things in the warranty program but essentially it's just the cost of shipping and then you ship it to us we charge you the shipping back and so for like ten dollars or really less than ten dollars you get um your charge lead fixed back up or you can i mean if you're sending a bunch in nothing you guys do that but normally we repair about one a month 
Right. Uh, we sell thousands a year, so I'm pretty okay with, with one a month. Right. <laughs> and and listeners, you're not going to get that from any of his competitors. He's the only one that really offers this warranty. Well, it's a warranty plus uh, the Repair. ability to to fix or to modify them. Um, say, like you get a uh, you get purple sheeting and you 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 switch paint colors and now you're into orange. Yep. No problem. We'll put orange on there for you. Uh, just you know, so we can we can change out connectors and do all sorts of stuff for you. Um, now we can't do everything. So if you want like a four S lead and you, and you got a two S lead. And and you ordered a two S lead. We can't make that two S lead a four S lead, unfortunately. Right. Right. But we could do you know some stuff, um, and then we we really try to, to provide the best products we can to people. Um, it's not a, a product made somewhere else. Uh, I make all of them uh, right here in the in the USA. Um, they're all handcrafted, and we have our a warranty program that really shows confidence in the product. Uh, because if we didn't have a really great product, this warranty program would probably bankrupt us. Right. Uh, if we were just buying some products from, uh, say, overseas, um, you know, we have, I don't think that would, would work at all. Right, right. All right. Um, yeah, I'm looking at all the sheath colors you have, and you got a bunch so I will say that we have been um, busy behind the scenes, and I haven't been able to update the sheathing guide, um, which is located in all of our pictures on any of our products that have a sheathing as option. Um, and so a couple of the colors are, are going away, and we're going to bring in some new colors, hopefully. Um, so I say hopefully because I'm still waiting on the samples from um, our factory, uh, so we've started working with um, with the like factories direct. So we get the product itself made for us, DRC. Uh, we don't buy it from a wholesaler that gets it made for them. So it meets our strict specifications, just like our wire and our connectors and all of our other products. Okay. Um, so what that means is the um, what well, doesn't really matter for the end consumer because not many people notice, but some of our sheathings vary in diameter. So, and that's okay, but then that changes how they, um, how they move and then the length of them. And so, um, tightening up the tolerance on them to make them all the same makes our product better. Um, and then we're also working to get some new colors. And so we're discontinuing the bubblegum snakeskin, uh, the metallic blue and the, um, the burnt orange. Okay. Um, and then we're going to try to get a nice, uh, um, oh, in the electric red. So our electric red, um, I think, is kind of the one that merged. Our metallic red and our electric red just merged into, like, a, a color that's kind of in between them. Um, and so we've been, we haven't had electric red for a while. Okay. Um, but it's it's almost the same color now. And then we're getting a nice dark red in. It's more of a maroon, or we're trying to, rather. Um, and then we're going to get a nice dark like green in, like an emerald green um, in as well. And then we're trying to get a nice, like a turquoise color in. Yep. 
and um, I think those are the the three new colors we're going to try to to bring in. And of course, if um, we always have our our sheathing available in bulk, so if you just want to buy the sheathing itself, um, you know we we sell a lot of that as also because we have a lot of colors that are made just for us, like our electric storm, which is a nice gray and orange color combination. Sure. Um, so we have, we have, you know, a bunch of different ways to, to make that work. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. So before we get into questions, check out, um, Donathan racing, uh, on Facebook at Donathan RC racing products and also on the internet at Donathan rc.com that's d-o-n-a-t-h-e-n-r-c.com and remember to use the coupon code talent lowercase all one word to get was it ten dollars off of 25 zach you got it all right now let's get into some questions because there was a few for you Oh boy. Troy Gubbins is wondering why so much hate on the lipo heating blankets? Because <laughs> you got a bunch of guys on Live RC just giving you a hard time. And oh, man, man. I, I even messaged you that day. So, um, so I mean, the first thing that I'm going to say is, and it's, it sounds silly, but haters are going to hate. But um, you're right, though. So it, it's it's one of those cliche things, but it it is what it is. And so, I mean, we could have came out with a new uh, charging product, like a, a new charge link. Right. And we would have received some hate for, for something or other, this or that. And it's just, it's how it is. Um, you know, so I, I tried to take everything with a grain of salt. And when I introduced new products, I really, I mean... For the lipo sleeve, you're looking at a two-year run-up to actually announcing its release. So, and before that, we were thinking about doing a product. So it's really been in the making for three years now. Okay. So was um, your original lipo safe kind of a placeholder? Um, no, I didn't. Once we launched it, we realized that there could be a better product. And okay. so I have a I have a problem. Once I realize something can be better, I have to make it better. Like when I'm at the track, if I know the car isn't as good as it can be, I have to make it better. Yep. Um, And so that's, that's kind of my, like my Achilles heel. So, um, so we realized that the product could be better. And so we started to figure out what could make it better, how it could be better. Um, and how to make that feasible, uh, both like physically and in the design and also financially. Okay. Um, so with all that being said, uh, people like to, um, to give me grief about the, the heated lipo sleeve or a heated product because, uh, we follow raw rules in this country. Yeah. And roar is a, is a, a uh, pretty decent governing body. Um, they have a very, um, I won't say very. Uh, they have 
a pretty uh, comprehensive rulebook for all the classes that we race over here um, and specified various things. Yes. Um, but there is a lot of that rulebook that is 15, 20 years old that hasn't been updated with the times. And now we're having um, like guys literally catch their pit on fire uh, burn down thousands and thousands of dollars worth of equipment um, because they want to heat up their lipos with a high amp discharger. Yep. Um, so the heated lipo sleeve is an alternative to that, and it's it's a safe way um, to do so. <clears throat> um, if just you know charging and then um, using that. So. Uh, so ROAR is the, like our main governing body. And in the rule book, it says no heating devices or something to that effect. Now, if you go and finish reading that section in the rule book, it'll say no devices that can heat anything are allowed. So if you have a charger that can discharge one amp, which is silly, every, almost every charger I've ever seen can do that. Right. It will heat the battery up and therefore your charger is illegal. Using yeah. that that logic, and and nobody wants to hear that argument, but it's a simple, simple fact. And we also ignore another rule in that rule book, which is um, something that that Joe has has confessed to on the podcast, and I will certainly confess to. I don't charge at one C. No, um, God, no, I don't. Know, I charge have, twenty amps. Yeah, I don't have that kind of time to charge at one C. So in the rule rule book, it says you're supposed to charge at one C. I know. You know, guys, so um, I was at the, the Carpet Roar Nationals at um, EA's facility, at, which is Apex Raceway and Hobbies. Shout out to them. Great facility in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Um, and the Roar officials set the temperature, the ambient temperature, at 85 degrees in the building. And I can for sure tell you, with my $600 temp gun, or whatever the estrogen costs, it's a ridiculous amount of money, but the nicest temp gun you can buy, um, that it was not 85 degrees in that building. No. So, and this is an indoor facility with air conditioning and heating. Um, in the summertime, it's not 85 degrees in that building, let alone in March. Okay. Uh, so, and on top of that, you were allowed a five degree um, above ambient temperature. So you go up to the tech table with the 90 degree battery and that was 100% Roar legal. Right. So Roar has some, um, some, uh, uh, upgrading that it needs to do with the times, some updating it needs to do with the times. And, um, I have, a gentleman who uh, I can't really tell you much about him, but um, he is part of the Aurora uh, group. I, I don't know where exactly the title is for that, but uh, it's part of Aurora, and uh, they're they've been working on a new rule book, and it's just not been released yet. Okay, I I know they're not so, going to do it. I don't know. I know they're not going to do that. Do it, but I wish that they would lock down timing for stock classes. What do you mean? So back in the brush days, the stock motors and 19, I think 19 turns were different, but let's say it's 27 turn stock motor. Your timing was locked at 24 degrees, period. 
Oh, so like it came from the factory that way. No, it's locked. You cannot adjust it. Yeah, but it, from the factory, it's at 24 degrees. Yeah, and they, they, they had all types of things. Not all, You know, it, the motor tech back then was actually easier now. So, but yeah, they've been busting, uh, they've been busting some people at some big races, but, uh, man, I wish I could go more into it, but I really can't cause I don't know the full details, but I heard there were some people that got busted locally. That's all I'm going to say. So I'd go one better for you. Um, the, is, you know, some of this is, um, the manufacturer's fault. Uh, some of it's the company the manufactured hires fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you're selling a product and you say it's approved for these specifications and it does not meet these specifications, it's really your company's fault. Um, right. So, I mean, there's been a number of manufacturers guilty of this. And in fact, I'm pretty sure I don't know one manufacturer that isn't guilty of producing a motor that isn't below what it says it's supposed to be in terms of internal resistance. Right. So if the if the number is like uh, anymore, but if it's for seventy five, it's like nineteen milliohms or whatever it's supposed to be. Yep. Uh, you know, you know, there's a company that's going to have a motor in that batch of motors at some point that's going to be below nineteen. Sure. And it's not the customer's fault that they have this motor. Yeah. Well. Well, all right. Most most of the time, I I won't say it's not. The, all the time, usually but. the customer doesn't get that motor usually those bleeding edge motors are saved for the top team guys and the really really good motors are saved for the b team guys and then the rest goes to the public yeah so i yeah that's a good way to put it um but at the end of the day a lot of the times now there are companies out there like smc doesn't doesn't uh test other motors so sure um well, they don't tune all their motors. I guess that doesn't mean they don't test them. I never asked Danny if he tests his, his products one by one. Um, but uh, so there, I mean, there's but there's companies out there that um, that offer a tuned version of their motor, and they go through it, and um, you know these motors are getting out there, and there's been a lot of cases where like. And again, with Roar's thing, if they have a motor that's submitted and it's, we'll say, a 17.5 that's got 20 milliohms, and the, the limit is, the lowest limit you can go is 19. So uh, company A puts in a motor and it's got 20 milliohms on the resistance. And then they, they end up getting a new motor in that's got 19.5. It's still well within the, the Roar legal limit. Yep. But because it's different from the submitted numbers, like so different, um, now that motor isn't going to be legal if that person goes to a race, if that company doesn't resubmit. And a lot of times what I've been finding is that um, the companies do resubmit these these products, whether it's a body, a battery, a ESC, a motor, or, or whatever other thing there is. Um and then that roar is just dragging their feet, um, which is in a lot of cases going on. Yeah, but them so. dragging their feet kind of helps out certain situations like R1. R1 is illegal worldwide except for roar. Yeah. Um, 
and you know, I was I was disappointed everywhere for that. So yeah. um, I don't, uh, you know, I think what R one did was not um, not per se illegal in terms of how they were defining it, but because it made their internal resistance go down, right, uh, to a point that wasn't legal anymore. Um, that's what became illegal about it. And so, um, I feel like maybe it was a little harsh on R1 that the other manufacturer, the other governing bodies made it illegal for two years for them to be submitted. Yep. But I think what like BRCA and EFRA and all those do where you can get, you know, you submit your products as you get them throughout the year and then they update the list once a year and only the things on the list could be there. So I think that's a really uh, great way to do it because then you don't have motor of the week or battery of the week. Sure, sure. All right, here, let's go to the next one. Jeremy Oldham says, what is the right length for 10 scale mains? At the 510, it's six minutes. The toy box is eight minutes. Both are fun, but with the current electronics out there, I feel we should easily be going eight to 10 minutes. My thought about that is the heat of the motors and ESCs. What do you guys so, think? Uh, you go ahead, Ryan. Uh, I'm happiest, selfishly, uh, five to seven minutes. Anything over that, um, especially on clay, the the sauce and the tire are fading. That too. It's not nearly as much fun to drive. Um I just really appreciate on a small 10th scale track that's only giving you a 14 second lap time, a five to six minute main. I, I just, I'm bored for those last two minutes. I always am because there's, there's usually two people that are on the lead lap by that point, if you're lucky. And yeah, there's, there's really no reason for it to go that long because like Joe says, people are going into thermal and, uh, other people that didn't get their gearing right, you know, they're, they're blowing through motors and such. Right. So, but ultimately, deep down, it's it's very selfish. I just don't want to race a tenth scale car for more than five to seven minutes. Yeah. What about well, you? Well, not only that, but it's really hard. I mean, if you're used to running five or six minutes for like touring car or something, and you throw in a twelve scale and you run in eight minutes, it's hard. Those extra two minutes are gruesome. They're- yeah, I'm really looking to one day get an answer of like why do we still have to do this with 12 scale cars can't we can't we shorten it up a bit because like i'm i'm almost asleep by the end of my 12th scale heat well see the point of that is though guys with 12 scale and this is an other old rule so back in the days when with nim batteries with stock it became okay when the 2000 packs came out you you didn't have to nurse it anymore but the deal was was not only to go as fast as you can go, but it's also to nurse a car so it'll last eight minutes. See, and I think that's a really cool aspect of 12 scale that a lot of people forget. It is. Dude, I'll, I'll tell you a story. So have you met you, – you've met Yari, haven't you, Zach? Yeah, Yari's a nice guy. And so, like, he came to America in 97. He lived in Minnesota probably up until 10 years ago. We used to race with him all the time. And the first time, he had just came over after winning the Finland National Championships. He was Mr. Corrali back then, all that stuff. And so 
there's this place we ran on Dewey's and they had the fastest 12 scale mod guys. Well, back then you graduated. It was a point of honor to go and run mod. I had just crushed the points for stock 12 scale and it's my first time running mod. And this is when the 2000 milliamp cells came out. So I was used to just going full out and I start out and I'm crushing everybody in the first three minutes i'm like i'm gonna be a world champion at this one day i'm beating everybody <laughs> at five or six minutes my car completely dumps <laughs> and i had the best batteries so it's like oh you can't go full throw okay you know <laughs> sure yeah, we don't we don't have that anymore, so I don't I know, get it. I miss that. I kind of wish it'd make you like make you run a smaller milliamp in twelve. I know they can't, but it'd be nice to put like a receiver pack in or something like that. So you, that sure. aspect was still there. Yeah, but I mean, you still get something to that effect in twelve scale because you're those batteries. I mean, twelve scales on a big track and national level event fade like eight tenths of a second for oh, fast Oh, it's huge! Lap. It's huge. Well, it's interesting to watch who's who because it's like, for instance, John Weeda, the way he drives, he's a very beginning stage of the race guy. He's a first four minute guy, so he could have a massive lead and tap a board and be pissed. Because he knows in that last four minutes, whoever's behind him is going to catch him, and he's going to have a dogfight on his hands. Like, that's what what was the most fun about watching him. A few years back, Mitch Whitman has quit at this point. But um, him and Mitch racing, because John would pull out this half-lap lead in the first four minutes, and then uh, Mitch would bring it back in in the last four, and they would have a dogfight to the finish line. So it is very fun watching different strategies. Yeah, so I kind of, you know, I understand it's the next two minutes in that. But really from a driver's standpoint, it's a lot harder. What I don't get is the 45-minute Nitro mains. That is terrible to marshal. Oh, I agree. <laughs> and I, I, dude, as a race director, I hate asking people, guys, I need a volunteer marshal for this 30-minute C main it's like shit. <laughs> so yeah, um, I agree. So what's it's, the right length? I don't know. I think the right length for everything is. I personally, I think the right length for nitro would be fifteen minutes because you still get your pit stops and you keep the mains relatively close. Now, if you want the thirty minutes, you can make a double A main fifteen minute deal for electric. Six minutes, man, I think. I think six is good. I think five or six is good. I don't know that I'm yeah. four one or another. Uh, for me, I, I guess for me, it really depends on the day I'm having. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I'm, I'm really good at that last minute. I'm really just into it. And sometimes that last minute's where I... I don't make the A main anymore. I get pushed out of the A main because I just tapped the board and now I'm half a second i got in my head and there's another tap and there's another tap and all right now i'm 15th yeah no i totally understand that happens to me every other week um john shore is wondering when did greening become a carpet off-road guy (laughs) 
Yeah, I hadn't seen John in a long time, so that was cool. He showed up for the Friday night version, which a lot of people did. That Friday night race was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so he brought, maybe he doesn't listen to the show as much anymore. I know he used to, because I, I used to get messages about, you know, this or that after we after he listened to the show. Um, I got into back into carpet off road because one of my close buddies was getting into RC and MMR and dollar hobbies are by far the closest tracks to him. So I was just trying to make it easy on him and not unknowingly to him, force him into driving an hour and a half one way to race on clay. You know what I mean? Man, I wish that track was an hour and a half away from me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we forget how lucky we are sometimes. Yeah, like everything I'm in the center of it all. I'm within forty five minutes to one hour away from every track in Minnesota except for Duluth and Rochester. Yeah, if you split Minnesota up into like three vertical sections or, or three horizontal sections right in the middle is just an incredible area for RC racing. It really is. Um, yeah, Zach, me, man, you might have to start your own thing in your area. Um, do they do people talking to me that I will just help somebody? Right, right. Do they do off road or oval in your area? Yeah. So oval was really big, uh, carpet oval. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of, um, so the track that does on-road here, did on-road here, is in New Albany, Indiana, and I tried to get them to restart their on-road program. Okay. So I would show up on, like, I'd show up early, um, on, like, Friday or whatever, and set up the track, and make sure, you know, everything switched over from oval, and get all that switched over. Um, and then we'd run the race program on Saturday and we get a few guys to show up. Like, I think our best was about 20, but I was inviting all of my friends and my friends don't live close. So I feel like they're kind of, you know, like helping me out, trying to get this thing going. And then after six months, um, you know, everyone gets tired of driving two, three hours when they got the track half an hour away from the house. Yep. So, you know, they were like, well, I can't make it this week. I'm not, I'm not coming, whatever. And so on-road kind of just hung out. And then they were doing oval the whole time at the same track. Uh, the track I'm talking about is Southern Indiana RC Speedway. They hold a bunch of um, uh, national events. Yep. For like BSR and sure. Tour and some yeah, other. Yeah, it sounds oval familiar. Things. Yeah. Um, so... You know, so that place is only 45 minutes from my house now, but they don't do carpet on road. Um, and so if people don't know, um, there's a groove to a track yep. and oval runs backwards to the track. And even if they ran the same direction as on road, um, the rest of the track is really green. And so it's not like I would really benefit from running on this track because I'm one car and one car does not make a groove. Right, right. In any short time. So, like, the nearest track for me is um, is EA's track. Well, I guess there's one, like, maybe a little closer in Indy. But I'd rather, I'd like to go to EA's track because, well, I like to 
guy. But also, there's a lot of I know there's going to be a lot of competition for me there, and I'm like the slowest guy there. Um, so it's it's nice to be challenged. Um, there's another carpet oval and carpet or not. I'm sorry, not carpet. Um, dirt slash clay. I'm not sure what kind of thing they have. I think it's like a clay dirt mix. Yep. Um, uh, oval and a clay dirt off-road as well sure and they do uh really well so well i guess their oval is kind of not great anymore um but their off-road is killing it and they have a huge hobby shop yeah last summer i was gonna send yeah last summer i was gonna send you my clay buggy but everything was shut down because of covid yeah well i might actually take you up on that uh here soon yeah. Um, just to get my feet wet to see if I, I wanted to make the jump or not. Sure, sure. Dude, Ryan, I think I should send him a mini truggy instead. <laughs> if they got the class, Definitely. maybe. Oh, my God. That's I'm a, not sure. It's such stupid fun, Zach. Well, a regular truggy is amazing fun. So, so mini truggy's got to be at least partial that. What it is is it's basically uh Four-wheel drive buggy that's wider, has taller shock towers, and runs stadium truck wheels in a truck body. So you so it's, you have the rip of a four-wheel mod and the stability of a stadium truck. Yeah, it's a wheeler on training wheels. Yeah, exactly. I love it. I mean, you can get so stupid with it, and the truck will just go Oh, wee. and people do. Oh, well. People get very very stupid with mini truggy people look at it as a uh, some people like ryan and i look at it as a serious class there's some people that look at it i don't know why so and we've talked about this a million times before so when i started racing rc cars you started out with a two-wheel drive truck or a two-wheel drive buggy in stock form and you worked your way up from there Recently, people have been buying wheelers to start, and they've been buying mini truggies and all that. And instead of running sportsman or novice, they've just been going in mini truggy. So when there's eight of them, the top four are on the lead lap, and the bottom four are three or four laps below that. It makes for an interesting main. It sucks ass. <laughs> well, I will say that two-wheel drive buggy is probably the hardest off-road car to drive fast it is like competitively but you learn so much with wrenching and racing and everything you you learn everything from a two-wheel buggy well a lot of that is guys don't want to do that so with a full buggy i mean i don't want to say when in doubt throttle out but that's what you do. <laughs> I mean, that's a, a four-wheel drive car. You could do that. You got the extra power. You got all this stuff going on for you. You got the all-wheel drive. Um, that it's really it's easier to drive. It's um, if I were to get back into um, into racing dirt, I would do a four-wheel drive buggy or something four-wheel drive because it's essentially uh, a touring car with long shocks. Yeah, I can get with that. But yeah, people are using it as a beginner class now, though. That's what I, you know, we've talked about this before. And like, there's people giving their kids a scale electric buggies and letting them go at it at full rip, which is kind of crazy. 
I don't know. Um, I mean, well, so when I taught, um, so I, I teach some people to drive every now and again. Okay. Uh, and I, I don't mean like drive around track. I mean like drive competitively. Okay. And so we, so what I, uh, one of the things we do um, that I think would help a lot of, um, a lot of newer people or some people that are, are struggling to be competitive is that their consistency is, is not there. And so how do you get consistent with a super fast car? Well, it's really difficult. So you put a Band-Aid on it. You turn your EPA down for your throttle. And you turn your dual rate round to match how much steering you need for that speed. Yep. Um, so, like, when Mary um, and I started going to the track and she wanted to start racing, we started out at, like, 60% throttle, 60% EPA throttle. Right. And until she'd go, like, five laps without hitting the wall, she couldn't go up to 70%. And once you get closer to 80, 85%, then you do like 5% increments because yep. it's that 5% is quite a bit at that point. Yep, and that's what I've been doing with Joe 3. So I think, um, you know, a lot of the, the parents don't know about it, but a lot of the radios now have that function in them, even the really cheap ones. Yep. Um, and at the very least, you could always gear down, uh, yeah. but you got to be careful loading your motor too. So. For sure, for sure. All right. Oh, man. Jeff Choban has a ton of questions. <laughs> Can I burn through one of them quick myself? Of course. Get on it. He goes, can we get away from if Mar Steger qualifying at club races? What are some other formats that successfully? You know what? At 510, we've been using heads up, and it's a blast. <laughs> yeah, he actually asked about that on uh, Saturday. He was racing. He broke um, one of his shock parts in the first round, so he ended up having to go home. Yep. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd be down for heads-up racing at Dollar Hobbies for sure. Well, it just makes the main so much cleaner, too. Yep. And yeah, I, and, I mean, you know, club racing... It doesn't at matter. At least to me, it, it doesn't... Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. You're, it's, um, it's practice. Yeah, it is. It's racing practice. Um... Jeff says, Zach, inertia tungsten screws are dope, as are the aluminum screws. If people haven't looked into them, they're truly a great product. But ha but I think you missed a word or two, but have we reached a point where minimum weight rules need to be adjusted? It's nothing like... It's nothing to have 100 grams or more of ballast weight in a touring car just to get to the 1350-gram minimum. I have 130 grams in my Serpent X20. Tungsten is expensive, and then it just goes on and on and on and on. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, again, we go back to the, the on-road being extremely efficient and the center of gravity. So... Uh, I don't think the weight should go below 1,300 grams uh, because the cars don't handle right in their current configuration, um, like how they're designed right now. Okay. Um, they just they don't handle very well, and then you get like this. The, the, you get some weird setups for like cars weigh 1,320 grams, like 30 grams difference. Versus, so 13.50 for touring car, which is what Jeff runs, um, yep. is the minimum weight. 
1320 is what a lot of European countries run. And at those, you don't like the setups don't work the same. Like 30 grams, of, it's, it's that's nothing. 30 grams is absolutely nothing. It's like in, uh, two ounces or something. Yeah, but it um, makes, at least in the off road side, in A scale, you feel 30 grams when you put it on the chassis. Yeah, so it really makes the car like handle really weird um, if you just start taking weight out. And so um, I think the weight should still be above 1,300 grams. I personally like 1,350, but and to Jeff's point, I don't like adding all this weight to my car. So I think it falls back on the manufacturer to um, generate parts and design parts that weigh enough to not have to add all this weight out of alternative materials like steel which is a very easy material to mill sure and, and cnc or you can even use brass which they have the same um the same density for majority of the steels and the majority of the brass compounds right um i mean we call them the same i mean they're uh, they might be a little one percent two percent different that's i mean the mice will be the same um, so I think it, you know, instead of using aluminum or a plastic or a carbon fiber for some of these parts, you can use a, uh, a steel, uh, portion to really be able to generate some more, uh, weight in the chassis without increasing the price, uh, and maybe even reducing the manufacturer's costs and hopefully passing that on to the consumer all while increasing the weight in the, in the final product. Um, something I think that should be uh, looked into for on-road is steel chassis, uh, personally for, for myself, because I'm in Jeff's boat and I have to add, I don't know, 150 grams to my car to make it 1360. Uh, I do 10 grams over because a lot of the scales aren't 100% the same. Right. Um, but so, I mean, even at 1350 or whatever you want to call it, so I, the steel chassis weigh another, um, geez, I don't know, a uh, hundred and some grams over a traditional aluminum chassis. Uh, and especially with the chassis nowadays, a lot of them are going towards, um, where with the steel, you can use like a really, like a flexi aluminum design. Yep, and still maintain maintain that rigidity in the product uh, that you have with a solid aluminum design. Um, and if people don't know about that, so in in on road there are like there are four types of chassis. Um, there's a carbon fiber chassis, mm-hmm. um, typically one thickness, but you can get multiple thicknesses. Uh, the thicker, the more stiff generally. Um, there's a super flex aluminum, which is approximately equivalent to a carbon fiber um however it does weigh a little bit more maybe like 10 grams more um and it does have some different um flex properties which makes the car i feel a little more consistent than a carbon fiber at least racing on black carpet you have a regular flex chassis uh which has less cutouts than a super flex uh it does weigh more and the handling of it is a little better and then you have a solid chassis, which so there's no cutouts in the middle of it. And then so that generates the most weight below and also has the least amount of flex. So it 
generates the least amount of grip. Okay. So, so yeah. um, you know, I think Jeff's uh, ideas of wanting a car that's closer to um, running weight out of the box is definitely um, something we all want. But at the same time, we all want to still go faster on the track. And the manufacturers don't want to have to redesign a car to work around 1,200 grams. Yeah, off-road's the exact opposite. We're trying to get our cars lighter. In 13.5 four-wheel, they're using plastic gears and whatnot. It's getting ridiculous. Um, well, and so we go back to the the manufacturers not having a, a really coherent design, and they're trying to build it for durability. I don't know about. Um, I don't know cheaper. about. Uh, I was gonna say a quick. I don't know about on road, but in off road, it's such a huge aftermarket market that they i think they kind of make the car as good as they are and then it's like you get your parts from lunsford jaycon all that other stuff yeah so an on-road um for the gizmo car like uh the only other upgrades from other manufacturers i have on the car that are really the only upgrade for the gizmo car you need is the lunch and turn buckles because the gizmo ones eventually wear out Right. Um, and that's something that's going to be changed, but for the moment, we just have to run through what we got. Yeah. Uh, um, let's for see. For the turnbuckles. So I use the lug for turnbuckles that are a little bit heavier than the aluminum ones that come with the kit, but the design of the aluminum one makes them, uh, they wear down over time. Yep. So, um, for, so for the gizmo car, you don't really need any upgrades. Um, but for like a lot of the off road cars, you need, like a lot of upgrades uh to be competitive um like towards the a main well, section so like if you want to be competitive in stock carpet racing so y you have to get um the only thing you really have to get that's a competition thing in stock carpet racing is a slipper eliminator everything else is for strength like your titanium tie rods you get um, aluminum servo saver arms, but you leave the rack plastic like we were talking earlier. And stuff like that. It's The rest of the stuff, it, it, it's more for strength. But like a carpet tire is so much lighter than a clay tire. My carpet car in stock trim with very limited hop-ups is at... 1502 grams where the limit's 14.99 my mod car with clay tires is at like 15.80 so that it, the weight of the tires alone you're you're playing a game there that yeah but but also in my mod car i have a 20 gram battery weight so there again we're adding weight so, I mean, a lot of that has to do with the performance in the car and how it works. And I think the manufacturers for for off-road are um, not as concerned. So, I mean, you get like Associated or a TLR or whatever. that You get a kit for 400 bucks. Yeah. And all of it's plastic, except maybe the chassis. Right. And a few other bits are aluminum, but most of it's plastic. And plastic is really cheap compared to aluminum and carbon fiber. 
which a whole touring car or any on-road car is. Um, you know, our on-road cars might be $700 for a new kit, but you know what upgrade you need? Nothing. One or two things you might have $800 total in the whole car. Yeah. And so, you know, you can get those and it's really not, it's like a preferencing. It's not even like a, you have to have this to go fast. Like the kit is very, very competitive out of the box. Right. Right. And so with off-road you still spend eight hundred dollars in the kit you just spend it in four hundred dollars in upgrades right sure all the chassis ballast weights you need to get all that other crap yeah for sure one yeah i i've i've always said no matter what kind of 10 scale car you have fully trimmed out with electronics you're looking at between eleven hundred and fifteen hundred dollars. Doesn't matter the discipline. Doesn't matter whatever. You're looking at eleven hundred to fifteen hundred dollars for a fully trimmed ten scale vehicle. So, let's see. Jeff had one more question. He said, "If using a heated lipo bag." Is there still a benefit of charging at a high amp? Um, so, yeah. No, well, no I guess not. Um, charging a high amp does nothing except charge your battery quicker. It doesn't really generate any more heat into your battery. It might, like, marginally, like, maybe 5 degrees. But what it's really doing is kind of messing up the chemistry in the battery and reducing your life cycles on them. If you charge at high amps, so like anything above 20 from what I have found um, on a consistent basis reduces the life cycles or how many useful like race cycles you get out of that battery. Sure. Um, so, no, I don't think charging at 40 amps is um, reliable for when using a heated lipo product. Um, why the guys discharging discharge at 40 and charge at 40 is because they don't have another way to heat their battery. So when they discharge the battery at 40, they heat it up, and then they want to go use that heat on the track. So to do that, you need to get it on the track as quick as possible. And the quickest yep. way to do that is charge it the fast you can. Yep. As fast as you can. So um, so that's why they, they charge them at 40. Right. So, so no, if you're using a heated bag, you can charge it in one C if you want. It doesn't really matter. Sure, sure. Um, I charge at 40, but only because of time. I have one eye charger. I'm running two classes, and I'm always getting Joe 3 ready to run too. So, and like our club races here are between four and seven total heats. So, like, I never show a picture of my pits midway through a race day because it's chaos and nonsense. Because I'm just shuffling around, moving like crazy, all that crap, trying to keep batteries charged, trying to keep three cars on the track, all that stuff. That's the reason I charge at 40, but other than that, yeah, there's no benefit of charging over 20 to 25, we found out. So, yeah, it's, you know, I got these new Intellect batteries. Have you messed with them? Oh, no, you're a Phantom guy, right, Zach? So, there's two manufacturers for batteries. 
Yep. Uh, there's well, there's three, but there's two. There's two. Well, there's probably more than that, but there's two main ones that everyone uses. So all the all the manufacturers, whether it's Motive, Phantom, Trinity, Intellect, Reedy, Protec, uh, EA, R1, Z, whatever. There's two manufacturers for them. Yeah. Well, there's different qualities of battery that you can buy from these these two manufacturers. But there's two people that manufacture these batteries. Two companies that manufacture the batteries. Uh, I run for Phantom. Um, the Phantom, I think they switch over to the Intellect style of battery. Yep. Uh, recently, which is the Intellect style, uh, I would say, is maybe not Intellect proprietary, but it's the pass-through bullet style. Yes. Uh, so that's how you can kind of look at the battery and see which is which from which manufacturer. So, right. like one manufacturer has the pass-through bullet, so you can plug in your 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 connectors on either side of the battery. Correct. Or the other styles, you can only plug in your connectors on the one side. Yep. One side, rather. Excuse me. So what I was gonna say is, I did a little bit of experimenting. I charged your, I charged my packs from storage. I did one of them non-heated and the internal in each cell was about two and this was after the second run you, you never look at it the first run the first run is always going to be waking the battery up for the day mm-hmm. then i charged another one same channel with the heated lipo safe 0.8 and 0.7 per cell so that's a huge difference if a lot of people don't look at it, and they should. And yeah, so, and if you also look at the, the discharge curve of that, or how much you would fade over the run, you would also find that the discharge curve is flatter when you heat the battery. Right. Um, My stuff doesn't fade, also, because of, I, I believe, because of the heating and whatnot. Yeah, so, I mean, you can heat the battery in multiple ways. So, but if you... So if you're unsure how to check your, so if you have an eye charger, what you can do is you can plug it in and it'll graph it for you. Plug it into the computer um, and follow the steps and it'll, it'll graph your batteries for you. And you can really break it down and see which one is your very, very best. And you can look at the IR for each section. And yep. It keeps an incredible amount of data, really. See, I think you and Brad Sandvig are the only two people who know how to fully use an eye charger. I have no idea how to use that eye charger. I just know it's possible. Because okay. what? <laughs> so, uh, but Brad's a really cool guy, uh, and he probably does actually know how to use it. Uh, so what I do, because uh, I'm lazy, uh, <laughs> is uh, so I get my phone. Yep. And I don't, I don't have it set up on my own computer, and I don't know how to set it up on my computer. So I get my phone, and I charge the battery up. I, so I run it one time. It's very important if you're going to try this test to run it at least one time. Uh, two times may be optimal. Uh, so go run it. Run your battery down to storage, which is 3.8 per cell, approximately, or whatever you call storage. There's a couple three, different yeah. variants, but three, eight. about 3.8. Um, and then you go charge it and run it again. And so on your third cycle of this battery, then if it's a new battery, you need more than two cycles. But if it's a... A used battery, two cycles is fine. Um, so on your third cycle, you charge it up to your race voltage. And when you're doing this test, you need to 
use a legitimate voltmeter to make sure that your batteries are charged to the same voltage. Sure. Because uh, if you're trying to look at the discharge curve, you need to make sure your batteries are at the same voltage. Yep. Um, so then what you do is you take your, if you haven't, I use an iCharger Duo, um, the orange 406. Yep. Because I like orange. But uh, anyway, so you, I have it set up to discharge it at uh, 12 amps, which is the max you can do without a discharge bag. Right. Um, for a 2S pack. And that's about the average voltage, or amperage rather, you can, you will experience in your RC car. Now there's peaks and valleys and all this other stuff, but it's about 12 amps. Um, so for me, when my packs come off the, the track, they're about 385 per set uh, voltage. Right. So uh, I will charge my battery up after the third cycle to, to 420 and double check it with the voltmeter. And then I will discharge it at about 12 amps on my charger. Um, and then every tenth of an amp, I will um, use my phone as a stopwatch and and then write down the time. So at 4-2, um, there's no time, obviously. And then at 4, however long it took from 4-2 to 4-1, I write down that many seconds. And then 4-1 to 4 oh, and I write down that many seconds. Okay. And then I keep going to three eight five per cell. And that'll, then you can take that information and create a simple graph with it with time over voltage. And you can see your discharge curve. Now, it's not, it's not going to be super pretty and computer generated, but it'll work. Right. And that's all that matters. Um, and so you can do a simple, uh, a simple discharge curve that way. All right. Right on. Right on. All right. Um, I believe that's all the questions we had or that I saw. Um, all right. Um, Ryan, do you have anything else for us? No, no, just a, a huge thanks for Zach to coming on the program and yeah. telling us all your, your cool new knickknacks. And, uh, no, I've, I've definitely ran out of content. All right, guys. Remember, go to DonathanRC.com when you check out in the coupon box, put in talent lowercase you'll get ten dollars off a 25 dollar order um we really appreciate you for coming on zach and do you have anything else for us uh well i really wanted to thank you guys for the opportunity to be on here it's always cool to talk to you um yeah and it's it's nice to to be able to um to to really join and and be a part of something that's not drc but that would like us to have have us on it's it's really interesting um because when i started i didn't think about any of this stuff i was just trying to to, to make a product that i thought was cool and now right. other people think it's cool um yeah. and I, I get to be here talking to you guys and go to races and and enjoy the, the customers feedback and talk to new people and it really opens a lot of doors that i didn't know were were not open before really quick when's your next um charge lead giveaway uh we're almost at 40 uh give me a second here look at that 48 we're almost at the next one yeah um so i think we're at like we're 10 from it so we're like 40 almost 4800 or something so we'll it'll be like in three or four weeks 
So guys, so what we do for our giveaways is we give away a free DRC product, customized, however you would like it, shipped free anywhere in the world. See, I was I wasn't even gonna, <laughs> it, you know, I I was a part of all the early drawings, and then you started a race team for you know people, and I'm like. Should I join now or try a couple more times to get a free charge lead? <laughs> well, if memory serves, you did win. Uh... Nope. No, you didn't? Never. But Good. that because is fine. Because this freaking guy in his contest, I just can't handle it anymore. Ryan, I started on the waffle pages again. God damn it, Joe. <laughs> did you really? Yeah. Uh, Has that been just... a problem for you? Yeah, I, I I just do a couple that because they're doing these big buck ones now, that it's like uh, B six point two. I'll take one spot. That type deal. You know, I'm not going nuts on it though, like I was. Well, I mean, I think the wafflers are a cool idea, um, but at the end of the day, you're still gambling. I mean, you're oh yeah, hundred percent money down, and you're not guaranteed to win anything. 100%. And guess what? I haven't won a thing. Well, Joe, that seems to be your luck. I know, man. Face Facebook uh, giveaways and raffles. Uh, it's just not my deal. <laughs> All right, guys. And again, thank you for coming on. And we've ran out of talent.